What's going on, everybody? This is the Changing Man Podcast, episode nine. Got a great episode ahead of us today. We're going to be talking about gun rights, recent protests throughout the year in D.C., March for Our Lives, David Hogg. Got a very special guest with me today. I want to go right into his clip from a BBC documentary that hit Richmond earlier, or not earlier, a few years ago. Thanks, everybody, for listening again. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Downcast, Stitcher, and think about five other more platforms. So we are getting out there for sure. Make sure to subscribe or follow on any platform that you use and continue contributing by leaving us a message at anchor.fm. And uh, let me get into this BBC clip, give you an idea of who we're talking to a little bit. I mean, I love it. I've I've held full-time jobs before. And I loved, I loved working those jobs, but I think my true passion is uh, firearms and guns. This has been a project of mine for quite a long time. Um, and I know we shot these um, the other day at the uh, shooting range, but this one's just a little bit different. Um, even though the pictogram lower does say that it shoots single shot, three round burst and full auto, this is strictly just semi-auto. I don't own any fully automatic weapons. It's just too expensive for my college budget, but and uh, this is a really fun rifle, the largest caliber I've ever owned. So that's 308. Definitely really fun to shoot. Um, very loud. So this is something I picked up not too long ago. By the way, all these guns are registered in my name. I've purchased them all through um, local places in town or online and gotten them shipped to an FFL. But this is the only gun that's not registered in my name because it was actually an heirloom from my grandfather who uh, passed away a few years ago. I've decided to hold on to that. That'll be something I never sell. Pretty good clip right there. Uh, Wilson, welcome to the show. Hey, Embry. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely, man. Um, it's good to see you again, first off. I, have, I haven't seen you in, I guess, about a year or so. Sure. It's it's definitely been at least a few years. Right. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's good. I'm glad I got you on here. You know, again, I've been picking people that I feel like can really talk about this stuff. I want to learn more, and I want to hear from somebody who has uh, definitely got some experience. Wilson has... About seven years of firearm advocacy and training under his belt. Uh, worked for numerous different gun shops, training, getting people firearms as uh, the law allows it. Um, so, Wilson, uh, can you tell me specifically, you know, what exactly it is that you did in your time and working with firearms? Yeah, definitely. So I got into it probably right around the time I had graduated from high school. My dad was talking about purchasing a shotgun and I was like, oh, that'd be pretty cool to have. So I kind of got into it that way because of my dad. I mean, I didn't really grow up around guns or firearms. Um, My family kind of did, but I mean, they weren't like huge advocates or maybe like huge gun owners. But yeah, and then that kind of led me up until, you know, working at a shooting range for a little bit. I actually worked at two of them. Um, And I mean, it kind of brings me up until today. And I've been collecting and shooting and purchasing all different types of guns. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, So you definitely learn from an early age, but uh before we get into that, I'd like to refer back to that BBC clip we we just played. Now, at the end of that, you had uh, talked about the only firearm you do have, or the only gun you do have right now, is the heirloom you said from your grandfather. Um, is that your is that your most you know your most prized weapon that you own, or is there one that's more important to you? And uh, you know, you said you intend to keep it in your family for a long time. So, uh, what what makes that so important to you? Yeah, yeah, I mean that's definitely one that's going to stand out. I mean, my grandfather died probably right around the time that I got into firearms. And so I got that one from my father. Of course, it was given to my father once my grandfather died. And so that was kind of gifted to me. So that's one that will definitely stay in my family for a super long time. And I've got a bunch of other guns right now, owned like dozens and dozens of guns over the years. Um, But I would say that one's probably going to stick out the most. I mean, it'll be one that I definitely never, you know, sell or pawn off. Right. Absolutely. But, um, so you learn from an early age, really, to shoot and work with them and everything else. I mean, is that how did your family kind of introduce you to it? Yeah, so it was all like my father, really. It's not that I wasn't anti-gun or not like wanting to own a weapon or like. How old were you? you yeah, think? I was like twenty or twenty-one. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It was it was actually kind of old. Got I it. mean, I know people that grow up with guns, you know, hunting <laughs> and stuff like that, or skeet shooting as like a kid, and I never did that at all. And I got my first shotgun at like. I must have been like 21 years old. Yeah. Mm. So 12 gauge, 22, I guess. Yeah, it was a 12 gauge Mossberg, 88. <laughs> nice. Yeah. You still own that weapon? No, no. I'm a firing pin broke and I was like, nope, selling it. <laughs> I don't remember what a firing pin is. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, 
Um, so in that back to the documentary, uh, how did you kind of get involved with that? Like that's, that's pretty, that's pretty damn cool that like, you know, they came to t- like, did they come to town? Was there a casting call on Craigslist? They just come into the store. What happened there? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's it is super interesting. So it kind of just fell into my lap. So one day I was, I was at Dominion shooting range, which is located here in Richmond. And I was working only on Saturdays and Sundays while I was in school, finishing up my degree. And so one Saturday we got a phone call from the car rental place over at Richmond international airport and this lady picks up and goes, hi, I have someone from BBC News here. And I was at first, I was like, nope, not doing it. Sorry, like not trying to you know, be on the news or anything like. And then the guy, you know, with the British accent started talking to me, said, hey, we're in town filming a documentary on why Americans love guns and things like that. And the other range in town, which is this is a range in town that was like really big. Um, he was supposed to go there and spend like a whole weekend with some guy that he had previously served with over uh in the middle east um and this is the guy the bbc reporter was uh, was a, a veteran as well um and so he i mean he's just talking to me on the phone and he was like you know could we come film there and i had to go ask the owner of course i was like you know listen uh, do you want to have this happen here right. and, and the owner was like yeah like you know at least let him let him come down here and talk right. to us Check before yeah before we assign on to anything and agree so they came in and then, you know, they started filming and then just lo and behold, it just kind of fell into this like much bigger thing than we had imagined. Uh, of course. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I guess it's kind of a, in a way it's a liability, you know, if they, if they try to edit it in a way that oh, would frame, frame your shopping about, and it looks yeah. like it came out relatively middle. Yeah, I would agree. I would say they did a pretty good job. The guy that I actually was with the entire time from the BBC we actually became kind of buddies. Like I showed him around town, like he filmed, he actually followed me around for the weekend. You know, I was the only one, the only uh, dominion employee that was like, yeah, you can follow me around, ask me questions, come to my apartment. I'll show you my guns. Like I'll show you all the cool spots in Richmond. So you can like get those like certain like videos of like the right. downtown area and the river. And oh, yeah, yeah and the, the guy was really cool. He took me out to lunch the last day and it was, it was, it was a good time. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's cool that they were, you know, it's just media, I guess they want to make sure you guys feel comfortable. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, so working in like a, like a gun store or a gun range, I mean, do you feel like there's a certain kind of effect or a way you have to kind of dance around that topic? Like when you um, talk to people, how do people act when they find out you work at a gun shop? Yeah, I mean, some people, it's nice that we live in the South, and some people, actually most people I would say that I talk to aren't anti-gun. Uh, maybe some are. I mean, some have owned guns, but I mean, I typically bring it up within the first time I've hung out with someone new. I mean, if it's like a girl, then I mean, that's going to be one of the first things I lay on the table because it's something that means so much to me, you know? <laughs> I could, it's uh, just first date straight away. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a gun owner. Typically, I try not to get into politics first date. But oh, yeah. I, I try and make it like pretty well known. Like if my profile online doesn't have me <laughs> in a picture with a gun, right. then I talk about like how like it's a passion that I've like, you know, pretty much fallen in love with. Now, you said you don't like to discuss politics, which is fun, which is great, because um, what do you think is so polarizing about guns in this country? I mean, yeah, it's definitely a topic. I would say that divides people. And I think it's been more dividing over the past, probably, I don't know, four, eight, 10 years, ever since I guess Obama was president. Um, and I think it's just something that people feel really strongly about, like one way or the other, whether you're like me or the people in the Second Amendment community who are super passionate about, you know, that freedom and that right that we have. And then there's people on the other side who see these massacres happening and they just see it being blown up by the news media. And right. that's all they're you know, that's all they see, you know, every morning when you're turning on the news, it's like someone who was murdered last night, or there's another mass shooting every three or six months now. Um, so it's just, they, they, they see it all the time. And I mean, I can feel from both sides. I mean, obviously I, I tend to be, you know, very, very pro second amendment, but I, I think it's something that will divide us, but I hope right. that, I mean, it's just, it's a tough subject, right. you know, yeah, it's, of course. it really it's, is. It's always going to be a tough one for yeah. people. I mean, you, when you're talking about lives and you're talking about people who could possibly die or, you know, or not, you know, I mean, really, or not, uh, mm-hmm. it, it's people, you're going to find people on the black and white of the topic. A lot, you know, it takes, takes a lot of patience to be in the middle there uh, for some anyway, I'll say, um, I'd like to talk about the March for our lives event that happened earlier in the year. Uh, I've got a clip I'd like to play for you. It's of, uh, David Hogg, who's been kind of at the forefront of all this for the youth behind this, um, new form of gun activism, I guess I'll call it. Um, I've noticed the youth are getting a lot more involved. High school students are a lot more involved in protests now. And David Hogg is the uh, leader of the of the people there. Um, This is going to be a short clip from his speech here. And I'll play that right now. 
96 people die every day from guns in our country, yet most representatives have no public stance on guns. And to that, we say no more. We are going to make this the voting issue. We're going to make, take this to every election, to every state, and every city. We're going to make sure the best people get in our elections to run, not as politicians, but as Americans. Because this, this is not cutting it. When people try to suppress your vote, and there are people who stand against you because you are too young, we say no more. When politicians say that your voice doesn't matter because the NRA owns them, we say no more. Okay, so like I said, that was um, David Hogg. He's got obviously some disdain, and he's uh, been practicing the public speaking and how to speak to the, the large crowds. And uh, a good job for him, and um, good job at least uh, standing out there for what he represents uh, in front of the Capitol, saying it just doesn't work. Um, I want to ask, you know, 1.2 million people uh, did attend this protest, or not this one specifically in D.C., but around the country. Uh, and what is it that you believe that they were truly representing out of uh, from the speech we just heard from David Hogg and from the, just the media attention in general as it pertained to that protest? What do you believe was uh, the goal? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely so recently I saw a video of David Hogg, and I think the right tends to paint a picture of like a really just like kind of stupid kid but i saw a video the other day actually and he was actually pretty well informed i guess they've been prepping him for this role as like a you know forefront speaker for this uh march for our lives like uh you know campaign and he was pretty well informed with some of the the rules and the laws i was actually kind of shocked but i think that you know i've seen a lot of videos on the march for our lives and i think a lot of the people there you know, they're there because it's a feel good cause and, you know, they want to be a part of something like that. I mean, you know, who doesn't want to march for everyone to live like that just like completely makes sense. Like, I don't understand why anyone wouldn't want to do that. But, you know, in these videos I'm seeing, I think a lot of people tend to be pretty ignorant about guns and they could be these people at the march. It could be politicians. It could be even like gun owners who just own a few, you know, hunting rifles for deer and they don't want to, they don't think that people should own assault weapons or AR-15s. But I would say a majority of these people don't really know what they're talking about and they're just kind of there to support something that they're just like oh that sounds pretty good i guess i'll sign up for that but <laughs> i mean i don't know that could that's all across the board that yeah. like like i was talking about earlier with my buddy the second amendment and guns it's it's a pretty complicated issue right i mean guns itself are complicated why politicians want to ban certain features i just think that's kind of ludicrous i mean it's it's just why, it's well, interesting why, why is it why is it ludicrous though i mean I mean, I don't understand. So like in the BBC documentary, I talk about the ATF and like this was a few years ago and some some of these rules and these laws have changed. But, you know, why they wanted to ban certain guns or why they wanted to call an assault weapon what it really isn't, because assault weapon is something that's select fire, which means you can shoot semi-auto and three round burst or semi-auto and full auto. So to, to own one of those in America is it, like extremely difficult. It costs one, a lot of money, like tens of thousands of dollars to own one legally. And then you've got to go through extensive background checks and paperwork with the ATF. And so I think it's kind of interesting that the ATF classifies an assault weapon as something that has like a, a butt stock that goes forwards and backwards or a pistol grip or takes like a detachable magazine. Like, I mean, I just think it's kind of wild that they target those things. And some of the some of these things that they're fighting for, like these politicians, you know, don't even know what they are. Well, I'm, I'm not asking about the politicians right now, though. I'm asking about the kids at these protests, because sure. some mm -hmm. would say that they are protesting the uh, 26 lost. I believe it was 26 at the Florida shooting uh, at that school in early February. So while I can see the I think I think everyone would want to be a part of an issue on reform of that. I think we could argue to the extremity at which they're doing it, but I'm more talking about the the kids in general. Like it, you know, you said you grew up in a family that kind of raised you with guns or at least taught you how to, sure, or yeah. you're around them. And then you got, you know, eventually got your first one a little bit later in life. Do you think, do you think that lack of education, like you said, with politicians uh, painting them the wrong way or the media painting them the wrong way is going to stop parents from being able to teach their kids about it? And how should they go about that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's all about the way that you were raised. Of course, I mean, I wasn't even raised 
uh, or yeah, I guess brought up with, you know, guns like in my life 24 seven. But I mean, I think that's, that's, I mean, I'm not implying that either. Yeah. Yeah. No, I understand. I just think that that's like kind of what it is though. And I feel like a lot of people are just uneducated about certain things. You know, they want to, you know, march for something that looks scary, you know, like an AR-15 or like it could be like an AR-15 chambered in something that's not typically chambered, like what it typically is, I guess you could say. Right. I mean, it's, it's just a real complicated issue. I mean, a lot of people just kind of talk about it, whether it's these kids or, or anyone else. And I mean, I feel for them. I, I'm sure no one around is jumping for joy about what's happened in America, especially right. because we're seeing constantly these these mass shootings, whether it be Las Vegas or San Bernardino or the uh, Pulse nightclub. God, I'm like listing them off right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> or the uh, one in Florida this year, but I feel like... Or Denver last year. Yeah, exactly. And Sandy then, Hook. And then there was the Aurora, Colorado shooting. But here's the thing, though, is like you hear about it more often now because look what's always in the news, like something negative. Like right. people are on their phones looking at social media. Right. Facebook had the news feed going. So whenever there was a mass shooting, we heard about it instantly. But right. you know, back in the day, like when Columbine happened, I'm almost certain you only heard about it when it was like on the actual television. Right. Um. And so, yeah, yeah, everything's changed. Like as soon as something bad happens, you know about it instantly. And so that's going to put that fear in you. And so that's, it just kind of goes forward from there. Mm. So you think it's more just a fearfulness of having it happen again, or do you think it's really a genuine fear of life? I mean, I think it's, I mean, it's both. I mean, I think it could be both. I think people are, you know, it's, it's such an interesting subject because people, no one wants to, you know, have these mass shootings. Like no one does. Like, you know, no matter who you talk to on the right or the left, like they want to like have something solved here. Mm. And I think it's like a pretty tough issue. I mean, I think it's more than just gun control. I think it's a big mental health thing. Right. Um, I think it's the way that you were raised. I think it's it's a whole culmination of different things that lead into it. Well, and I think what they're mainly I think the overall message to grasp is while a little bit extreme. I think they're just promoting gun reform. I think the the manner in which they're doing it can be misconstrued as almost authoritarian honestly Mm -hmm. yeah so gun reform and they want you know common sense gun laws or common sense gun control and to me i'm thinking okay well what's common sense right like what so what should we enact now that would that would change things in the future and i really don't think there's anything that is other than the whole mental health thing Mm -hmm. but that's such a touchy subject that what can you do about mental health adding it to background checks that sort of thing i mean how do you go about doing that are we going to trust the government to do that like I mean, I don't even really trust the government as it is to do their own job. So, I mean, it's it's a tough subject, you know, and I think that's why people are, are discussing it now because they're really trying to figure something out. Now, why why would a ban on weapons just not work? Why, why, why can't we just ban all the guns? Well, there's no way that would happen because the Second Amendment it's written right there. Like it's it's a constitutional right that we have. Like, I mean, we've added to the Constitution before. So, I mean. You know, what, what's stopping what's stopping that from happening? Do you think do you think that's a possibility? I don't think that's ever a possibility. I think no president or anyone within political power would would be dumb enough to enact some sort of massive ban on all guns, whether they be all semi-autos or all AR-15s. There's just no way that's going to happen. One, there's far too many of them out there. Right. You know, there are more guns in America now than there are people, mm-hmm. which to me, I'm just like, whoa, that's awesome. And at the same time, I'm just like, oh, that's kind of crazy. But um, yeah, I mean, it's... There are more of a lot of things in this country than than people. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. It's, it's, it's the rate at which they're manufactured. I know that sounds like a shocking statement, but I mean, like, there's a lot more pillows than people like in this country. So, I mean, it's kind of like, that seems, it just seems a little arbitrary to me, but I'm just picking at this point. Um, so, I mean, what, what would your response be to someone who's like, well, what if they come and take you? Like, what if the, they get the military or something, they try to take them from you? Now, see, that's, now that's a, that's something that I think about. And I had a conversation with my buddy about this recently. Like, you know, if they were to come knocking door to door, like they did at Katrina, like during hurricane Katrina, or I guess after the hurricane, they did this massive sweep of people owning guns. I mean, there was looters out there and stuff. When like, did that happen? That happened right after Katrina. There was like police officers and boats going and confiscating weapons. Like read about it. Obviously, I wasn't there for it. Heard about it. Like was it as widespread as they said that? I'm not sure. But it's something that's happened. And they already had an assault weapons ban, mm. you know, 1994 to 2004. Oh, wow. And yeah, that didn't even really do much to hinder gun violence because Columbine happened in 1999. Oh, wow. So it's like, I mean, it's... It's 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 a tough subject. Like I always say, it's really it's really tough. But I think what they're doing is they're trying to enact more gun gun control laws, and I don't think that's really the answer that that we need, especially here in America. But I mean, it happens all over. Whether or not it be guns, it could be you know cars or bombs or something like that, or stabbings. I mean, gosh, look at over in Europe and specifically like London and the UK. I mean, 
there I think was, Japan had a guy that just like stabbed 11 people like two months ago. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And so, I mean, the one thing I know always here is like, well, like, why don't we be more like Europe? But I mean, I mean, London recently just like surpassed New York in terms of like violence or something like that. I read it. Yeah, it was like London's murder rate now tops New York City's, you know, London's like a pretty violent city. And that was that was like an article posted by like the New York Times or Washington Post. So it's like, right. you know, it's super hard to own a gun over in Europe or the UK. And yet, you know, they're still a super violent country. Right. Um, and there's other ways that people are going to want to go and do that act of evil. I mean, I think once you have it in your head, you're going to, you know, most likely be doing it. And I mean, I don't know, it's just a personal opinion of mine, really. Right. So you think it's just the, the evil's already manifested. The means are just oh. by which is what avail- is what available. Oh, for sure. I mean, there's so much evil out there today, you know, whether it be people saying things or doing things, right. Um, you know, whether it be like some guy who like steals a bunch of money through his own company or launders it or whatever, or they're going out there and they're doing, I mean, it's all sorts of, I mean, evil is out there. And so mm-hmm. there's no stopping that that's not going away anytime soon. So back to the question just a little bit. So, I mean, do you believe that the, if, if instructed to do so, do you believe the military would carry that out? Do you think they would actually go door to door and take people's guns? Yes, yeah, that's a good question. I think it would be either military or police. And I feel like a lot of police officers and military people are pro Second Amendment. I feel like they wouldn't do it. And I feel like that would be like a <laughs> that would divide the military and the police right there. Like, are people going to want to obey those orders and go and take? I don't I think the, I think they might be too scared to do it, knowing how much firepower is out there. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think they would. I mean, and if they were to come knocking on my door, I would just say I didn't have any, to be honest. I would be, I'd be like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about, but <laughs> I'm sure most people think like that and they just don't want to admit it. But I mean, I don't think that would ever happen though. That's, I don't think that's even realistic. Well, just, just, just a couple things really, just to bring some listeners up to speed. I mean, you, you know that I'm an army veteran myself, mm-hmm. so I've definitely trained around weapons. Uh, I've definitely been around them, definitely fired them, been shot at, uh, the, the rigmarole. Um, and, uh, I mean, I can I can say that I've never felt safer when I'm you know when I'm around weapons. Um, but I think it was interesting just to go back on this a little bit. You had said one of the biggest obstacles to common sense gun law is going to be mental health. Now, are you talking about just availability of mental health among the populace, or do you think that there should be more mental health checks in the gun buying process? I would say both. I would say there's not enough people seeking mental help for their mental health problems, and I think that there should be a way to somehow intertwine mental health records, I guess you could say, with the already in process national uh, instant criminal back tr- background check system. So, I mean, I think that's a tough subject because then you're kind of getting into like HIPAA violations and HIPAA right. laws. And, you know, are these people going to want to disclose records so they can go buy a gun? Like, well, what's considered a mental health problem? Like, is it someone that just suffers from anxiety or panic attacks? Or is it mm. someone that like has maybe PTSD or something right. like that. So, I mean, so where we can draw that fine line, just like any other government problem that we're well, having right now. It's interesting that you say that because uh, I've talked on this program a little bit about, you know, what, what has happened to me and, you know, kind of mm-hmm. being overseas and everything yeah. else. And so, uh, you know, I've been diagnosed with PTSD and right now I could still apply for a firearm. And if my background check clears, I'm, I'm good to go. Um, and this is a difficult opinion to have as a veteran though. Um, but I've done a lot of work so far. And I'm not perfect, but this is how I feel it should be. I think that if you are a veteran who has been to combat or a combat scenario and been diagnosed with PTSD in any form, I don't think you should be able to pass that check. Because while I might sit in front of you as somebody who seems relatively put together, safe, not not suicidal or at risk, there's a lot of people, 22 specifically every day committing suicide, by which means we can't really delegate down to guns but numerous different ways with that many unstable deaths especially coming from the small population of the military i believe that that's you know the second right especially when you're going into the branch of the military and you you become government property in a way i think the aftermath of that while if you're going to be accepting benefits from the government and everything else then i think there should be a form of acceptance that you may be a risk to yourself or other people and what would your response to that be? I mean, yeah, I, I definitely agree with what you're saying. And I see where you're coming from. And I think it's just a tough subject. I think it's something that a lot of people don't want to talk about. But yeah, you said it happens every day. Like all the, the numerous number of, of veterans coming back from war, not getting to the help that they need, the, the the good help that they need. And then the suicide rate amongst veterans is just like through the roof. I mean, what did you say? It was like 20, 22 a day or they, something? They, it's supposed to, I think it averages 22 every day That's from the year. From yeah. the year. That's insane. And so- yeah. And the whole, 
you know, saying that they shouldn't own guns. I mean, that's just, you know, do you think now, let me ask you this. Like, do you think some are like more at risk than others? Like some might have like oh, slight course. PTSD and then some might have a lot. Cause I don't really, I don't really know. I mean, well, I'm not of course, I mean, people are going to be traumatized by different things. And I think, and, and the reason behind this, I'll go a little bit deeper into my thought process on this, um, is that if I think there should be some type of risk, like, I think if you seek therapy, there's no diagnosis. If you go to a psychologist, someone who can diagnose you and prescribe you, that's where it kind of gets difficult, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it would be a deterrent from the people who haven't actually experienced some things to keep them from going into an office and putting on a show for disability or whatever have you, or to get out, to get out of the military. There's a lot of people that do that, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that and this isn't a consequence, but I think that if you are at the point where you are being diagnosed or recommended to go see a, a psychotherapist that can diagnose you, then I think that, I think we need to take that into consideration. I mean, it shouldn't be, it, while it's, while I think it is a, a civic duty to take care of people who serve in the military, I don't believe that we should still allow, uh, provide them the means to harm themselves or possibly others after being medically diagnosed as someone who could be at risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think it's definitely something that we should be considering. It should be something that, you know, is at the forefront. You know, I mean, was it like 60% of all gun deaths in America are suicides, you know, where there's like 30 some thousand a year. But of course, that's just a one large general broad number. But you got to break that number down. Okay, how many are suicides? How many are like defensive? Or uh, how many are like police shootings that are justified or something like that? Or I mean, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a subject that needs to be talked about more. And I feel like mental health is not being talked about as much as it should be right now. Right. And um, in the sense of gun reform, not necessarily related to mental illness. I mean, what do you think is the the path really? I mean, with the, the divisive government we have now, it, it, it seems like we can't really hit this middle ground. So, I mean, how do we educate the next generation of voters, the, the David Hoggs of the world, that you can coexist with guns without wanting to ban them. Yeah. I think a lot of it's just being informed. I think a lot of it should just be informing the younger generation. I mean, it's also the older generation, but let's just start with the younger generation. I think it's informing them what exactly it is, how it works, you know, why we have the second amendment to begin with. I mean, people say, why do you need an AR-15? And my only response nowadays is, well, it's called, you know, the bill of rights, not the bill of needs. And Mm. I feel like it's our right to have an AR-15. Um, and I just think that's where it starts. I think it really starts with just educating today's youth, especially the younger ones. Like, that's what I'm going to do. Like, as, an, as a dad one day, I plan on raising my kids around guns, being also a responsible adult gun owner and a parent gun owner, locking them up, teaching your kids at a super young age. Like, this is definitely not a toy. So I worked with this lady at Dominion. Mm. And she had all of her daughters in the range, whether they were working or they were just coming in, spending Saturdays there. It was, it was really nice that she was able to do that. And now her youngest daughter was like super young. I would say probably like 11 or 12 years old. And her daughter instantly knew like the respect that she should be giving that sort of tool right. and how you shouldn't be just picking up and putting your finger on the trigger. I mean, there's definitely, there's studies out there and videos of like a gun in the room. There's a bunch of kids and all of them just rush over to it, like no parental supervision around them whatsoever. And they all rush over to it, except for the one or two that were told not to touch it right. growing up because they were around guns. I think it's all about education. Right. Wow. Okay. So there was an actual experience. There was an actual like experiment where they. Oh, yeah. One- yeah. It's that was wild. a real thing. That was a real thing. Like, I'm not saying it's like scientific, but it was just to show people that like it was like a like a like a room with like a table in it and like toys and stuff. And there was a bunch of kids, like not toddlers, but I would say like probably elementary school kids. And I would say there's like 20 and I would say two or three of them grew up with guns, like, and knew what they were. And as soon as like they started recording and the parents left the room, there was a gun there. People, all the little kids went over and like played with it and stuff. And then like the only ones that didn't were the ones that knew that like, I'm not saying all of them, like a majority of them were going over there. Oh, and yeah, trying yeah, to play yeah. with it. You know, I'm not trying to like generalize it, but yeah. you know, the ones that knew not to go over there, ones that were educated and they were told by their parents, like, look, this is not a toy. You do not touch it. Was it a real gun? No, no, it wasn't a real gun. Okay, it, was, so it was like a rubber. It gun. was probably just like a super realistic, like airsoft gun. Like if okay. I could pull up the video right now and show you, like it was amazing. I saw it like a year ago, okay. and I was like, I mean, that right there, like just educating like today's youth. I'm not saying like that's what's going to solve it either, because I feel like, you know, there's probably kids that wouldn't go over there and touch it just because they know it's it's a gun, not necessarily growing up with it, but just that video just speaks volumes. I would say. Do you think that there's like some extremism now in the kind of, in kind of the way the the gun laws are are talked about? 
it's always it's either this way or that way. I mean, yeah, either ban them or you don't. Yeah, I mean, I'm or the NRA. Like the NRA has always been pretty one sided. Do you think it's it's difficult for a, a I guess a group like the NRA to or or members of the NRA to kind of how can they better you know send their message to people because because yes. it, it you know I feel like they always uh, apologize or show their sadness about it and then they go straight back into we're fighting against this and that and this and that. Yeah. And I mean, the NRA has always been vocal in supporting the national instant criminal. I'm always getting it wrong. The NICS, the national instant criminal background check system. And I read somewhere like right after this most recent shooting, now see, I've only been in, you know, involved with it for like seven or eight years tops. And so I read somewhere that like the, the reason we have that instant background check system was put forth by the NRA. So that was like the whole reason why we kind of had it. Um, and I kind of looked into that and I, I mean, I saw it on their website. Doesn't mean it's necessarily true. And to be completely honest, like I'm not that big of an NRA fan. Like I was like a one year member or maybe like a two year member a few years back and I've never renewed. I still get those phone calls all the time. Way too political for me. I mean, they're like the big dog in the game. Obviously my go-to one is the gun owners of America. And I think a lot of people are changing over to that organization. Now, not enough to make like a huge impact because there's still like millions of people that are NRA members, life members, and Mm -hmm. these old guys who have been there forever. But I think everything kind of changed after the Las Vegas and the Florida school shooting when they were talking that about Las ban- Vegas shooting is insane. Was yeah, absolutely insane. And it happened after all that when mm-hmm. they wanted to do the bump stock ban. Right, that was that was like the hot topic. People are like, oh, what's a bump stock? And it's it was like, nearly instant, wasn't it? It was. It, yeah. As it was soon like, as the shooting happened, it, it was, was like, get we on. Were, yeah. We it was were like, done morning in about 30 in about 30 hours. Yeah. And then it was straight. To it was straight bumps. to the it was straight to Twitter. Like, yeah. you know, whether it was the right or the left. I mean, I saw a lot of it from the left, like whether it be Nancy Pelosi or uh, Senator Feinstein. Out of, I think she's out of California or whatever. But yeah, it was like instantly just like, oh, like anti-gun stuff. And I was just like, we need to break this down. Like when I first saw that Las Vegas thing and we didn't know what the device was yet, I was like, there's no way that's an actual full auto weapon. Like there's no way. But then like the whole bump stock thing came out and I read a bunch of forums online. They're like, oh, we can like hear like, the repetitiveness of the gunfire and it doesn't sound like a full auto because it was like fast and slow kind of like it was all right. it wasn't consistent it wasn't consistent exactly and so i was people were like oh it could be like one of those binary triggers where each time you pull it pull the trigger it fires and each time you release the trigger it fires or it could be a bump stock and i was like or trigger crank which i guess those are still things but i i i'll be honest i had never heard of a trigger crank until i yeah. saw some of the reporting <laughs> oh i've seen it that it's... seems like some civil war type <laughs> technology it's like, like gatling gun yeah, stuff. exactly yeah. let me get my ar-15 out and crank wheel it yeah it's it's ridiculous what, you the, scarface yeah the only reason you would own that is literally just to go out onto some land because no gun range would ever let you use that. i don't even think gun ranges really let you use the uh, bump stock because full auto is so hard to control right so that's why like you know people say oh if there was full auto there'd be like way more mass shootings i mean the whole like las vegas thing he was at like a certain point of view like you know three blocks away or whatever it was and he right. was able to just mow down people easily which is like the w- most like disturbing thing ever there was a lot i'll be honest I, and i normally do not subscribe to the conspiracy theory type thing but oh I, yeah but until a lot of those facts came out i was very like adamant that there was something there, weird about there's it. a second person people always still think that there's like a second person out there i just find it difficult that that old man was able to run window to window and shoot that consistently yeah I, I, but you know hey you know whatever i mean well, he, he was able to do it yeah they have a video out right now that completely is a timeline of events of that guy starting and ending the entire thing starting as in like checking into the hotel getting the bags of luggage going back to his house 45 right. to 50 minutes away purchasing another gun going back like he made multiple trips up in there loading and guns and ammo and all sorts of stuff. And then it's just like, well, I mean, I don't think they've really found a motive yet as to why the guy did it. I mean, people say he lost it all or he was going through mental health problems. And some people, some people subscribe to the whole conspiracy thing and say that like there's a second shooter, but I mean, who knows, man? I mean, it's, well, it's like you said, the mental health thing, you know, and that seems to be a very popular excuse. Um, And I I, I say excuse, but it obviously takes someone who, has some problems to carry out something like this. Uh, do you think Dylan Roof had mental problems or do you think he was a victim of bullying? So Dylan Roof was the one for that. Was it the Charleston church? Shooting? Yeah. Yeah. Or do you um, think he had, do you feel like, do you oh, think yeah, he, he had felt like a problems. religious martyr? Oh, no, no. He had mental problems. I mean, all, all the mass shooters, uh, you know, ever since like way back in the day to like Columbine to today, all these people are suffering with something or have some sort of, I mean, look at the whole Nicholas Cruz guy from, 
the uh, Parkland, Florida shooting, him, Dylan Roof, they all had mental health problems, like uh-huh. severe ones, you know, then, then they, they do things online that should be raising flags. And then the Nicholas Cruz, like people had already alluded to the, or like given tips to the FBI and they didn't do anything about it. So that was right. their big F up right there. Right. Of course. And then like, you know, it's just, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I would say it is. That's not every case. Like every right, case right, isn't right. like that, but that's what I see most is these all, all these people have some sort of common mental health problem. What about the, uh, what about the pole shooter? The, uh, I, I don't want to butcher his name, um, but the middle Eastern man yeah. you know, shot up the club. Now that to me, this is just my personal opinion. That to me was not mental health problems. I think that was just strictly like he was like an Islamic extremist. Okay. Like that's what I think. And I think that's what we've seen so far. Now I haven't like, I mean, I haven't really done like a huge amount of research about that. But from what I saw, that guy was doing it because based off his like extreme views, you know, being a pretty extremist Muslim or Islamist Islamic terrorist. Yeah. That's what I saw. And I don't think that one was, but I mean, I guess you could say like, is that a mental health thing that people even think like that? You know, that's (laughs) absolutely what I was going to say. I mean, I know that, uh, I I know that you're a believer. I don't mean to throw your business out there, but but I think there's definitely an, uh, an extremism side to all of them. Really? Right. I mean, yeah, uh, I mean, there's extreme Christians, you know, there's extreme Muslims. Uh, I mean, there's, I mean, anyone can be an extremist. Like, you know, as do you think it's safe? Uh, I mean, do you, this is kind of a little, might sound a little taboo, but, do you think it would be safe to start saying that is kind of like a mental issue if for for extremist beliefs sometimes? And, and how and how would we dictate extreme really other than violence? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's going to be I mean, yeah, I definitely agree with what you're saying. I think that anyone that does that does things like that and carries out acts like that definitely is a mental health thing. I mean, but then it's just like a whole different realm of like mental health, you know, because it's not like. So why couldn't we call Dylan Roof a Christian extremist? Yeah, I mean, says the thing about Dylan, the whole Dylan Roof thing, like it I got made into a race thing, not a faith thing. But yeah. the Muslim guy gets made into a faith thing. That's so what he, I'm, was, that's what I'm getting. Yeah, so it was a Dylan Roof thing. I mean, it, I don't remember exactly his moves. I know he shot. It was a predominantly like African American church, yeah. and he shot it up. That was like a whole just like race thing. Like he was obviously like real effed in the head. and decided to go and carry out this attack against an African American church. Right, and just the worst thing ever. I mean, all these are the worst thing ever, but just like singling out like a particular audience to me is just like super terrifying. Mm. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's definitely a mental health thing. I mean, so, I mean, they're, I, I, they're all like different classifications, I guess you could right. say. You go on these tangents, just talking about all <laughs> certain types of things. We ran, we, ran, we ran through it, man. We ran through it. Yeah. And I would say like one thing I definitely try to do, like I'm always going to be pro second man, but I always try and understand both sides of the aisle. Like I'm always going to lean more towards the right, but I always want to like be super understanding and heartfelt, you know, with what these people are going through, you know, they want to find a solution. Right. And the solution that they think right off the bat is let's ban guns or let's do something about it. Instead reactive, of like, reactive yeah, thing. exactly. So let's dive a little bit deeper into the actual problem. Is it the actual guns fault? Is it the gun owners? Cause if the, if it's the gun owners fault, Believe me, we'd be making a lot bigger, like a lot bigger noise right now. I mean, well, and there's so many illegal firearms out yeah. there too. So it's it, you know, and they're not going to represent gun rights because they already own the firearm illegally. Exactly. I mean, there's 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 plenty. I mean, and now we've got the whole like 3D printing gun stuff, which I can't believe that's even like. I mean, what year is it? 2018. It's 2018. Yeah. You, you can literally already, just build your own gun at home from like the ground up. We're closer of, like, to al- altered carbon every day. Yeah. It's I mean, insane. I don't know if you've seen that show, but it's uh, it's really good. Never seen it. <laughs> so you had said like, you know, it, it's, it's a long process to own something that's full auto. So yeah. like I myself being a veteran and with being able to still purchase a weapon, uh, would I just be able to go in? Like, is there like a special clause for me or do I still have to go through the same process? Do you know that? Yeah, great question. So a lot of people don't understand how you can own NFA items. So these are part of the National Fire. So if I wanted Act. like a, a P90, like a fully auto P90. You could not own it unless it was, well, I mean, I don't even know when the P- P90 was manufactured, but so here's the thing. Right, I got to back up for a second. So firearm laws are so like tricky, like why you can own certain things, why you can't. So if it's a full auto gun, if it's a short barreled rifle, any rifle with a butt stock with a barrel less than 16 inches, any short barreled shotgun or suppressor, those are like the main ones. You have to file paperwork with the government, essentially the ATF. And you have to pay a $200 tax stamp. For each one, they have to go through like a super long wait, like typically six, six to nine months, maybe even a year. But then full autos, you can't purchase any full auto unless it was made before 1986. So there's only a certain amount out there right now. And they're super expensive. Like the cheapest full auto is like a Mac 10, kind of looks like an Uzi 
probably run you like six or seven grand. And then like, if you wanted an actual M16 fully, like the full switch and everything, it's going to cost you like wow. 20, $30,000. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. And so only the people that get into it are like, people are looking to like maybe diverse their like, and you mm-hmm. know, and like maybe collectors. get some investment. Yeah. Collectors. I mean, I plan on owning a full auto, like M16 lower one day. Like I like dream of that, but like full auto is super hard to come by. That's why people just say, Oh, it's illegal. Like, Oh, it's already like, you can't even get those. I mean, you can, but you have to jump through so many hoops to get it. So, so yeah, like, so if I walked in with like my, my DD two fourteen, my retirement mm-hmm. paperwork yeah. and all that, like, would I just be able to outright just go ahead and get one or you could purchase one, but it's, I'd have to wait the eight months to get. Yeah. Everything. You would, so I, I wouldn't even have to have a background check for like a lesser weapon first. I could just go straight into straight to that. Yeah. So you, if you wanted to buy an M16, like tomorrow, you could literally go into a store. If they even had one in a store that you wanted to buy, like most of them are like owned by dealers and they have to get transferred and stuff. But let's just say you found one just for the sake of the uh, conversation. And then what you would have to do is you would pay for it, which is going to be like a shit ton of money. Okay. And then you're going to fill out a form for, which is a certain ATF form. And then you're going to have to pay $200 and then they're going to ship that off to West Virginia. I believe that's where they're still located, the ATF. And then they're going to do extensive background checks on you with like the FBI and all this other stuff takes a super long time. And then you'll get your tax stamp back, which is like, it's a legit stamp on your form. And then that means you can take your, your gun home with you. So what, what is, what is one thing, I guess, like, let's say I'm just buying a handgun. So a lesser process. Sure. What, what is like the least, like, what's the smallest thing that can disqualify you from from buying that weapon? Oh, it's typically like on the 4473 form, which is like the federal form when you do a background check. That's going to be things that like domestic abuse. I mean, you have to like check these boxes. People lie on them all the time. Like, you know, are you addicted to or have you ever been in possession of marijuana? Are you like a, you know, do you have like a, a, a what is it, a thing out against you or whatever? I mean, I mean, any sort of like domestic violence stuff. That's or if you're a felon, I mean, that's the big one, like, yeah, you know, yeah, working yeah. at Dominion and we were right across the street from the Virginia State Police. We literally had dudes coming in there and they were like, I don't know if I can be buying a gun. And I was just like, how do you not know if you can buy a gun? Like, you should know whether or not you are totally capable of buying a gun or not. And there were times where we would like do the background check and the cops came next door and they were like, yeah, you shouldn't be owning a gun. They carted them off. I don't know what happens to him, to be honest. I'm sure that he just gets in trouble with whoever he needs to get in trouble with. But so hold on, you had said people check boxes and stuff and they lie on them. So is there oh. like an initial paper form that you mm-hmm. then run through the computer? Exactly. Yeah. So this is, so, so they double check it. It's not like you can just yes. lie and that's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the, okay. here's the process of purchasing, let's say a handgun in the state of Virginia. One, okay. you have to be 21 years old. Okay. Um, and so let's say you're 21, you want to go in there, purchase a handgun. You have to have at least one form of ID right. government issued. So usually it's going to be your, your Virginia, uh, driver's license. This is all changed. A few years ago, it used to be two forms or three forms, depending on the weapon that it was. But one form of ID, you fill out two different forms. We have a state form, a Virginia one, which is like a bleed through one. And then we've got like a 4473 and you fill those out. And then we take a copy of your driver's license. Then we put all the guns information in that. Then we go in the back onto a computer and we log onto the Virginia State Police website and we Put in there whether or not you're buying a handgun, a shotgun, or a rifle. No, no specifics at all. Not that right. it's an AR-15. Not that it's not, a certain not maker a model, model number. Nothing. nothing. The wow. only thing that's got the the actual like legit details of the gun is that form, which gets thrown into. Let's say you're approved, so it's right. like a background check takes typically five or ten minutes. An instant background check, so there's right. someone there checking it. You know your records, and then they'll approve you. And so after that, we take those two forms. People think there's a registry. There's actually not a registry in, in the United States or in Virginia that registry I registry for what? Like for guns. Okay. Like there's nothing registered. Like in terms of so like I actually misspoke on that BBC document. I should have said that I didn't like I'm not the original purchaser of my grandfather's right, right, right. revolver. I just went ahead and just said it and said, like, you know, I this is the only one not registered in my name when technically there's no registry. So it's really just the registry is just the form stating that you bought it. Correct. And that form just gets tucked away in a filing cabinet and whatever gun shop you're buying it's it in until something. Anymore. Nope. It's no, it's paper? never been online. Wow. No, no, nothing's ever been online. So here's what here's what's also crazy. And I've actually like had to deal with this firsthand. And I, I don't even mind talking about it because it's something that I guess you deal with being in the gun industry. So right. let's say, you know, I sell a gun to someone and then let's say it gets stolen or you it could even gone through a background check. And then it ends up like in a city like Baltimore. This is what happened to me. And it was used in a crime. So someone right. was shot and killed right. with a gun that I purchased. So what they're going to do is they need to track down that gun now. And who was the original purchaser? So what they do is they... You had the police, so you had police come to you? Think- no, they called me. It was a detective from Baltimore. Oh, okay, gotcha. He called me like on a random day and he was like, hey, 
blah, blah, blah. Like, wanted to let you know that we had a gun here that you had purchased that was used in a crime. Obviously, it had been stolen from someone that you had sold it to. And they wanted to make sure that it was my gun. And I, you know, I was like, yeah, how can I help in any way at all? And so what they do is they first find the gun at the crime scene. They run the bat, they run the, uh, excuse me, the serial number. They call the manufacturer. The manufacturer says, okay, we shipped that gun to this dealer, which is a dealer here in town. I went and purchased it. Then they call that dealer, the uh, detectives and the police up in Baltimore. And then they have to go in the back, you know, the dealer that you purchased it from and look through all that paperwork and say, oh, we sold it to Wilson. And here's his, wow. all of his information, his address. So there is no like online registry. They have to go through all this right. work because the NRA is fighting to not have like an actual online registry because I don't want the government knowing what I own or what I don't own because I mean, right. some of these guns I buy privately, you know, right. I buy them or maybe like an heirloom, you get an heirloom well, or something like that. Okay. So yeah, you know, when you, buy, you said buy privately now, so that's but a then hot you, topic. But, <laughs> it, yeah. Because, because then what you said was, um, that the weapon you had sold to somebody had been stolen. And I, and I, and that sounds a little fishy to me. It sounds like you sold it to somebody who then gave it to somebody who knowingly was going to commit a crime. No. Well, so that's, that's an interesting thing. So actually I remember exactly who I sold it to and the person who had been found with it, or I guess who it was, who it had been linked next to was not the person I sold it to. So most thugs and criminals, and this is like an actual study, like most thugs and criminals in America don't go and buy their guns. Like, you know, off of like someone like randomly that they meet up with, they usually steal them or get them from relatives or friends who have stolen them. And so this one was stolen from the person I sold to. They had the bill of sale and everything, and it was used in a crime. I think he had left it in his car, mm. from what I from what I remember. So it already crossed state lines. Right. It was here in Richmond. Okay, it so, ended up in Baltimore. Okay, so you yeah. sold it to someone here in Richmond. Correct. Right? Okay, yeah, and then gotcha. it was stolen, transferred somewhere else. I mean, that's how most of these criminals get their guns. Is they're not going to go and like you know, do on like in a legit way, because you can, you can do it that way. Or most of these people actually just steal them or they'll get them from family members. They'll get them from like their own, like, you know, friends and their buddies. Like, Oh, here's one that you can have, or they'll buy them that way. I mean, I mean, it's always up to your discretion, which is the whole like, you know, gun show loophole private sale thing on whether or not that should be legal or not. Um, And so, yeah, that's how mine ended up all the way up in Baltimore using a crime but then that's like not the only time that I've sold a gun and it's unfortunately been used in a murder. I sold one legally mm. <laughs> and through from like the, from the gun through shop. the back. Yeah, I'll go ahead and say it right now. Yeah, I sold it through a background check, you know, just like some of these mass shootings and it was used in a murder. You know, the guy mm. used it and I'm not going to give specifics because it's someone that like it's like a he's like a person our age here in town. Mm, um, but I mean, so it's like even that's not stopping. But when that guy had some serious health problems that I didn't know about. So it's hard to gauge. So that just goes all the way back to like the whole health thing. Yeah. You know, the make, mental health thing. Giving access at mm-hmm. least for that is concerned to. Uh, but yeah, it'd be that. I mean, you're talking a whole just to get off a topic a little bit. I mean, you're talking a whole technological infrastructure that needs to be made to mm-hmm. support all of that. Yeah. And then you got to give permissions to all the gun store employees or at least one of them who has got to be there to do all of that. I mean, because now you're trusting a whole, you're, you're trusting a lot more to, to just the stores in America and you make that in turn harder to start a business and everything else. I, it, but okay. Yeah. That was, a little, yeah, it's I mean, that's, that's I mean, what's crazy I, about it. And you know, and I'm sorry I had to go through that for one. I mean, yeah, that's a little ridiculous, yeah. but I think that's, the common sense gun law we all want is better uh, mental health care. Yeah. I agree. And, that's and I think, but I mean, in the meantime, I think, maybe we could designate the resources to kind of be able to, you know, implement some infrastructure with getting mental health records online as it results to that. Yeah. Or I even mean, just like a simple yes or no, you know, it, it like it checks, it checks their medical records. And then there's a, some type of algorithm that says just Y or N. Yes yeah, or exactly. No. But then who's going to be in charge of that algorithm? Like who's going to be the one to set the standards, literally draw that line for the I, algorithm. Like what line is that? I mean, it's such a, it's such a tough subject. I mean, coming from like selling a gun privately and completely legally with a background check and both have been ended up in a murder is just like so eye opening. But I mean, it makes you think a lot about the industry that you're in and like what things can be done. And I mean, yeah, like I said, like who's going to be the one to like write up that algorithm? Like what's going to be defined as a mental health problem and what isn't, is it the whole no fly, no buy thing? You know, I know people that are on the no fly list just because they have a similar name, um, you know, as to someone who shouldn't actually be on that list. So yeah, wow. <laughs> that that's that's like the it'd be a horrible uh, position to be in, like going through the airport and realizing that someone just with the same name as you is on the no fly list, and then oh, exactly, uh, that would suck. That would already suck. Wilson, thank you, uh, thank you for sharing your thoughts and your perspective. I I feel like I learned something. 
Okay, know? that's I'm good. Yeah, I'm sorry I pod stirred a little bit. You know, I had to. Oh had no, to, that's fine. Had to throw you off your game. No, just that's a tad. fine. Yeah, I mean, I I try and be as informed as I can. I try and be open and honest with people about the things that I've gone through working. Right. You know, in the in the gun industry, working at a few different gun shops. The other gun shop I worked at here in town is actually not even still around anymore. But yeah, short lived. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a fun hobby to get into. It's got its things with it. You know, I mean, look at the current climate that we're in right now, political climate in terms of guns. But, you know, I'm a huge pro Second Amendment person. Um, and I just try and stay informed and just not be, you know, ignorant to the facts that are out there. So well, I always uh, important to make an informed decision and kind of yep. make sure you get that second perspective. And, you know, you can't trust everything you hear, take everything with a grain of salt and just kind of realize the, the the good and bad of every situation take it on a case-by-case basis yeah you know? exactly yeah make your own decision like think about both sides of the topic we understand that gun violence is a huge thing and yeah it's like something that people want to like jump onto and say like oh we should ban guns but like look at both like sit back and just take a look at both sides and think like what's honestly what are we here to do what are how is this going to be solved really absolutely yeah well uh everybody i'd like to thank you for listening to the changing man this was uh this was good man i i um I appreciated this, you know, had some, uh, some good info to throw out there and, um, I hope everybody appreciated it as much as I did. Wilson, again, thank you for being on the show. Um, as, as far as some quick promo stuff, Wilson, you got anything you're trying to uh, promote? You got any projects? Oh man, nothing at all. <laughs> Thanks though. <laughs> all right. Well, okay. So guys, uh, thank you for listening. You can find us now on Apple podcasts, Spotify podcasts, Google podcast, all of those. Uh, make sure to follow or subscribe. You can also leave us a voice message if you have a topic or something you'd like to say in response to something I said or any corrections. That's anchor.fm slash the changing man. Also find our episodes on SoundCloud. That's soundcloud.com slash the changing man podcast. Thanks everybody for listening and have a great morning, afternoon, and evening.